Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. From 20th Century Fox comes Screen Dive, the first podcast developed and produced by a major Hollywood studio. And I've just always wanted to do that voice for anything related to the movies to be that preview guy. But I will continue in my own normal voice because you know, I kind of felt like I sounded stupid there. Uh, Screen Dive re-examined some of our most beloved films through new interviews and behind-the-scenes insights with the artists who brought them to life. Guests explore iconic titles like The Sandlot, Planet of the Apes, Deadpool, and The Devil Wears Prada. Listen to Screen Dive on October 30th on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever else you like to listen. So let's talk a little Buck Celtics here. We did this for the NBA cast today, our first time on Twitch. Follow me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Nate Duncan NBA, a better platform. We're uh, working through some of the tech issues. We just basically got it up and running like 30 minutes before we were able to start since we've been pretty busy watching games and doing other stuff. But hopefully we'll uh, continue to evolve there. The chat was great. Really enjoyed it. Uh, I think we're going to even be able to have some options for streamers to sync up. That'll be a little bit more reliable than what we had with Periscope. So we'll still be doing Periscope the next few times, but we're going to transition solely into doing it on Twitch over the next week or so. I'm sorry, next month or so, I should say. But uh, overall impressions here, Bucks Celtics. The thousand mile view of this for me is a kind of an important takeaway, but not one that was necessarily surprising for the two of us, which is Mike Budenholzer is miles better as a coach, as a tactician than Jason Kidd. Or, or Joe Prunty. However. Or, 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 or at, least, at least to be sure. fair, Joe Prunty without a... Coaching Jason Kidd's... Yeah. Yeah, but but also, I mean, Joe had his own foibles in the rotation, to be sure. Oh, yes, he did. And so you have that, and it has been a very important part of Milwaukee's surge this season to a 7-0 start, now 7-1. and However, you and I have done playoff games that Mike Budenholzer has coached. We have watched a lot of Mike Budenholzer's team's games. And while a substantial improvement, he has his own flaws, and those flaws are far more concerning against the best of the best than they are against everybody else. But this game put those in stark relief for me in a couple of big ways. The end of the game is one that we'll talk about a lot, but then also earlier in the game, just some of the general defensive tactics against the Celtics were just so easy to exploit. Yeah, they were. And the Celtics, I forget what the NBA record is now. It falls like once a week. So I should probably remember this a little bit better, but 24 of 55 55 of their 92 shots were three-pointers uh now they only shot 46 percent on two-pointers and didn't really get to the foul line much you know there were some intentional fouls late that inflated that so i mean if you take away the three-pointers they actually did a really good job of defending the celtics but when you give up 55 three-point attempts and they make 44 percent of them and this is a team that can get that hot you're not going to have a, a very good defensive game and this is a celtics offense that has largely struggled coming in although Kyrie Irving certainly looked a, a lot better in these last couple of games so maybe that's going to be in the rearview rear mirror but 
Yeah, go ahead. Can I make a point? So a point on that, You first of all, you're right to bring up the number of three-pointers. But for me, it was the the clarity and the simplicity yes. that for those three-pointers that is the big problem. You can, you know, if a team jacks up 55 threes, that's fine. But especially in the beginning of the game and then at the beginning of the third quarter when Brook Lopez was in, all Boston had to do to get one branch of easy three was set a high pick and roll with Brook Lopez's guy. And Lopez would stay, I don't know, 10 feet away from that action protecting the paint and then either al horford or the initiator of the pick and roll would be wide open a lot of times that was horford he ended up four for 11 on threes and i off the top of my head 10 of those 11 were wide open something yeah. like that and al horford's a 40 percent free throw shooter three-point shooter so yeah he's gonna he's gonna make a bunch of those and then you can talk about the second variant of it which we saw the celtics absolutely eviscerate the bucks with in the second half yeah in particular the the third quarter where all you have to do is drive into the free throw line and not even necessarily you know a blow by here but someone would come in help from the from the opposite wing to the nail and then they just throw it to the guy for a, a three-pointer and it really got crazy in that third quarter with the threes you could tell that boston was able to look on film at what the bucks were doing they were really bringing a ton of help Ilyasova, a very good help defender he probably even is helping more than he ever did uh in philly uh, under bud's system and that has worked against a lot of teams. I mean, the Bucks are the number two defense coming in, although, as you noted on the broadcast, part of that is that opponents are only shooting 30% on threes, and they're giving up a fair number of threes still. And Bud's teams have always given up a, a fair number of threes, uh, as we saw when Cleveland set, you know, a, a playoff record for three-pointers against Bud's Hawks in, I believe it was 2016. Uh, so, really, they did a great job of cutting off the rim. Like, I think they only had four shots at the rim in the first half, and I what were they for the game seven for 11 yeah i mean that's the fewest number of shots at the rim i can ever remember i don't have a way that i know of to actually check that but that wouldn't surprise me if that's like you know one of the lowest figures in a game that like maybe we've even ever seen so maybe what he would tell you is you know what yeah we gave up a lot of threes but we forced a fair amount of not long twos now when they're taking 55 of their 92 shots as threes there's not that many long twos left to take but we cut off the rim and they didn't get to the foul line on us at all though this isn't a high free throw team uh and you mentioned the pick and pop as as being the other way but so there's that aspect of it that they just really helped so much and this is a boston team too that you know was very happy to settle for mid-range jumpers you know and i think stevens went in at halftime and was like hey guys are open stop settling for mid-range jumpers just act like you're gonna drive they're gonna overhelp. we'll get some threes uh but the next part of it too is that with al horford playing center for the celtics in particular the bucks for all of the changes that they've made the new personnel they looked much better in a lot of ways especially on offense uh than they did in that series a year ago but obviously and what you got to consider too that you know Kyrie didn't play in that series and neither did gordon hayward who was good tonight so they clearly have elevated their levels you know the bucks almost certainly would have beaten last year's celtics team uh tonight the way they're playing but at center they still don't have the personnel to match up with Horford and the pick and pop game and you'll recall during that playoff series that Thonmaker when they exhumed him for game three it was either Thonmaker or Giannis was the only time that they could play well in that series if they had either of those guys at center and of course you know what sunk them in game seven was going to Tyler Zeller now out of the league uh and so I do think that still Brooke Lopez maybe he can play when Baines is on the floor but you know he's the starting center and so he has to match up with Al Horford at the beginning and you know it's a regular season game maybe you don't want to change your starting lineup but I mean, if they wait, if these teams match up in the playoffs and they wait until game three to not start Brooke Lopez, like they're going to lose the series probably. Um, but yeah, that, that's about a, 
all I've got on the scheme thing. Was there anything else you wanted to add there? Well, I'll mention that Milwaukee went from 30.1 opponent three-point percentage to 33.1 just on this game. And right now, the Bucks are giving up the third highest three-point attempt proportion of possessions. They are giving up the fewest shots to the rim. So this game really does confirm all that. But I mean, if you're giving up that many threes with the capable shooters that are out there, and especially, I mean, they don't always have to be as open as they were in this game. But I want to go back to a point that you brought up, which is that the Celtics, not only do they have a lot of guys that settle for mid-range shots, they have a lot of guys that you don't need to panic and help on. If there's a, a drive from Terry Rozier and he's he's getting in the paint, probably the most devastating thing he can do most of the time is make a pass for an open three. That is the best offensive outcome that comes from that because if he takes a free throw line jumper or that that has a lower expected value than, than an open three. So trust in your defenders. They have a lot of length. They have a lot of skill to not necessarily make every play because nobody makes every play, but to make the play harder than what your help is accomplishing. Yeah. And, you know, we'll see. I mean, this was one game. They were close. Although I will say that if the Celtics hadn't just missed a ton of wide open threes in the last few minutes of the game, this game wouldn't have been close. You know, I mean, it was uh, to get down to one possession. We'll talk about the end of the game as well uh from boston's standpoint they did struggle to defend the bucks a, a lot more than they did in the playoffs last year although i will say that Kyrie irving made some pretty good plays he had two block shots in this game he was like coming over and helping and like trying to actually jump and bother people at the room a, another indication that even if you're a small guy if you actually like get there and jump you can still affect people at the rim um but the Bucks looked a lot better offensively. They shot it poorly from downtown, only 9 out of 29. Although, ironically, it was they who came in leading, or maybe they were second in the league behind Houston in uh, percentage of shots as three-pointers. And Boston really did kind of shut those down. That enabled Giannis to totally go off for 33 points, uh, 13 to 22 from the field, got to the foul line for 7 of 11. I wish he could have made a few more of those free throws. Uh, and so I, I think that Giannis really benefited from the additional space. I mean, the the bucks had lopez who obviously is is a spacer now john henson uh who has been shooting the three ball well he hit an above the break three i mean he's i thought he was just going to be like shooting from the corners no he's actually being aggressive above the break and hitting him which is funny because he wasn't even really ever shooting mid-rangers before this uh and then they bring out Ilyasova to play some at center. He's like kind of the the mobile center uh but not really that mobile he's just smart um so they did space the floor really well and boston was in a marked contrast to the bucks theory decided that they were going to stay home you know maybe Giannis was going to brutalize them on occasion they tried to help where they could but they weren't going to give up open threes they weren't going to let chris middleton just kill them and he was three of ten from three he got some shots up but very few of those were uncontested uh and they did a good job of taking away threes from some of the Bucks' support players. Definitely a big-time contrast in styles defensively in this game. We're really early on. I mean, we're in the first 10 games for each of these teams. And a playoff series could look very different, but those approaches were, were striking. And Milwaukee, I mean, as much as they're like, I think they have a lot more low-hanging fruit coming away from this game. And, and granted, it shouldn't have been as close as it was. I mean, this was a 10-point game for most of the second half. Yeah. But then, well, yeah, and then and then it, it kicked back in. And Middleton, so the low-hanging fruit is the defensive part, which we talked about. And then also, like, I would say there were a few guys on the Bucks that had 
worse than expected games in ways that you wouldn't necessarily expect to see repeat. So yes, Boston did a nice job defending Chris Middleton and a lot of different guys deserve credit for being on him for not really giving him much space. But he was, I think he was something like three of 13 for a lot of this game. And then he got a little bit hot late and made made a few shots, got, got a couple of threes. I think he was like one for eight on threes originally. And all of it counts, obviously. And Bledsoe had a hit or miss night on both ends of the floor. Like he had a few possessions where he looked great. And then he had a few possessions where you're wondering what the heck is going on. And I like that you brought up Kyrie Irving's defense because there's a line of just, you know, doing something more affirmatively positive, like a block or being in the right place for a, to force a turnover or something like that. But the other thing that was notable about Kyrie Irving's defensive game for me was how little he was victimized. There were a few times where he got caught on Giannis and then they would either send a double or a foul or something like that. But those plays were pretty rare. And I also thought that generally speaking, having Ojale in the starting lineup because Jalen Brown was unavailable in this game, it worked out reasonably well just because Ojale is so strong that Giannis couldn't move him as much. But then even over time, Giannis was able to figure out how to how to take advantage of the new rules and, and Ojale maybe wasn't as crisp. So he still did fine. But I mean, it, it, it is remarkable to, to see the growth in Giannis's game, but also that Ojale is one of these guys who he's not an amazing, you know, basketball player. I mean, obviously by, by any NBA standards, he'd be amazing in any other league. But he can do a good job of making life hard on guys who do not usually get life made hard on them. Yeah, the, that's a good point. And Ojale also two of four from three, which was encouraging here. And he had really hadn't been playing much. Uh, yeah, and in that early part of the game, he was the only guy on the Celtics that was making threes. Yeah. Horford was getting all these wide open ones. That was before Irving really got going, which he did, I believe, in the second and third quarter. Third quarter, he was masterful. And yeah, I mean, Ojale, he had those big shots. He only played 22 minutes in this game, but I thought he did did a nice job and he's a different type of player than Marcus Smart. I think he brings less to the table, but also takes less away, which is pretty interesting. One other thing I want to talk about, you alluded to it before, but I want to give some of the stats on this Boston's third quarter. So the Celtics were eight of 14 from three and five of 10 from two in the quarter. So they took more twos than more threes than twos and made more of them similar proportion, of course. And they only turned the ball over one time. So that's another way that the, that the Bucks help was not producing dividends. So they weren't, they weren't forcing turnovers. And so it was a 38 25 quarter. And that just really swung this game and Milwaukee cut it close late, but it was mostly just strange defensive execution and Boston knowing exactly how to attack and speaking of knowing exactly how to attack last five minutes or so with Ilyasova in the game they decided they're gonna change up the pick and roll coverage because Horford was just getting wide open and pick and pop every time so what they decided they're gonna do is bring the big maybe not quite a hard trap but up to the level of the ball double team and then if they threw it back to the pop man bring over the weak side wing to not just stunt at the guy and get back but actually to really just pick him up and so boston they did this against the bucks in the regular season last year i think it was the second time that these teams played in boston in particular that what you do there and they had smart on the floor so they felt like okay we'll leave smart well what they did is they would swing the ball to Horford. Middleton, usually on the weak side wing, would come over to take Horford. And then you got basically a two-on-one on the weak side. And so Smart would just set a flare screen for Kyrie Irving and they would just swing it to the opposite corner of Irving and he got like a couple of threes or I think one of them might have been Hayward as well uh, and they were just able to get a wide open corner three on the backside uh, with that I think it was like at least three times 
that that works so ultimately i think they're gonna have to do some switching i think that boston until further notice is somewhat switchable um i think that the bucks have enough length maybe that you can go to that strategy um uh, with Giannis. but i I guess maybe the only reason not to do that is if you're not going to play maker at all and he looks to be buried at the moment he played some four uh, in their win when Giannis was unavailable against the raptors and actually played pretty well but if he's going to be buried if you're going to play Giannis at center, now you've got Middleton at the four. I guess maybe you got Snell at the three, or maybe it's Brogdon. And you bring DiVincenzo in to look pretty good today. Uh, Bledsoe. So those guys are a little bit small at every position, you know, which is kind of a problem. But it, it's better than, I think, what they were giving up here. Uh, and the Celtics were just so smart at attacking what they were doing. And so... Once, once again, I was struck by, this is something I talked about on Anthony Slater's podcast last night, uh, All 82, that there are four teams, if Houston is right, which, you know, hopefully they will get there, that could play switching defense, that have enough creators to draw help or pass against a switching defense and then enough shooting that you can't just like completely load the floor up and that's Boston, Toronto, Golden State and Houston and I after watching this defensive performance from the Bucks I can't put them into that category yet even if they did show some encouraging signs in this game and they kept it close for a while it just never seemed like they quite were there. I wonder if, if and how the rotation is going to look different when we get to the later stages. And, and this Bucks team is good enough that I expect them to at least get a better seed and have an, have an opportunity. And DiVincenzo is a fascinating part of that. He did only go one for four on threes, but he looks totally comfortable taking him. And I was actually really impressed. The, the biggest takeaway for me from him in this game was actually his finishing. He had one really nice one where Marcus Smart hit him on the drive and he finished with his left hand. And then the other one. So when a guy has a jump shot, the teams have to respect. I use the phrase two dribbles in a good decision a lot, where it's just basically, can you create separation and can you do something with it? That might not be taking a pull up to maybe you can't get all the way to the rack. Maybe find a guy, something else like that. And he had a couple plays that looked in the kind of proto stages of what that would look like and i mean he's a guy who played a lot of guard and had the ball in his hands a fair amount from what i saw at nova so it wouldn't surprise me if he has that in his game i didn't watch much of his tape so i don't know this for sure and if he can get to that stage whether it's this year or next year it's a very useful player especially when the guy that he's at least conceptually competing with for an unmarked spot in this potentially starting lineup or closing lineup or however we want to find it is malcolm brogdon who despite his gifts has similar has problems making that like okay i need to do this right now get to a place and then the defense will react to me he does make good plays but he doesn't he's a very slow decision maker brogdon yeah he's kind of like the point guard version of a baka where it's not necessarily that he'll make a bad decision he just won't make a good decision quickly enough yeah, but he can still i mean he had some beautiful left-handed drives in this oh, game yeah. i mean i'd like to see him bomb threes more um and, and getting back to divincenzo wonderful rebounder man that guy gets off the floor uh, on the defensive glass uh, he's already got 29 rebounds this year uh in eight games playing about uh 20 minutes a game well we got to watch his three-point percentage he definitely shoots it like he could make it he takes some pretty difficult ones but he's nine out of 31 on the year that's under 30 percent so uh, let's watch that obviously not the biggest sample in the world but you know if he continues to shoot under 30 percent on threes maybe it'll take him a while to get there um 
any other observations? I mean, I guess we should talk about Gordon Hayward looking pretty good. Six of 11 from the field, five assists. He is definitely the best passer among the ball handlers. Horford led the team with eight assists. Irving also had seven. I mean, the, the Celtics sprayed it around to the tune of 30 assists uh, on 41 field goals. Although you're going to have more assists too when you never get to the foul line because you just have more chances for an assist there. Uh, and so I, I thought Hayward looked pretty good. I mean, we didn't see, again, you know, a ton of drives for him, but the three ball is going down. At least his jumper doesn't look like wonky the way it did, you know, in that first game of the season. So yeah, I'm starting to have more faith that he's going to get there. And he also had a moment where he went up for kind of this sprawling block, got undercut a little bit, landed awkwardly on that left leg. He said uh, to, to, or I don't know if it was to Tim, but uh, might have just been in the presser after the game, but Tim wrote about it in the story that, you know, he felt some pain there, but, you know, he was able to get up and you could see almost the relief on his face as he like felt some pain and then he looked down at that ankle and he knew it was okay. Um, so that, that was good for him. It's still going to be some steps for him but i think especially against going against this team he's being guarded by brogdon at the beginning and i think he's he can kill brogdon uh you know if they choose to go at that matchup most importantly for me this was the best hayward has looked physically you know there are other games where he you showed his skill level and also he had some beautiful passes in this game like the, there was one the first play of the third quarter where he drove in it was another one of those like one step inside the three-point line somebody over over helps and then he just drilled it right to Kyrie in the corner and those passes are tough because not only do you need to get it at the right spot like so that the guy can shoot quickly but getting the velocity correct is extremely important as well because if it's too slow marcus smart every once in a while throws the right pass too slowly and then that gives the defense time to recover it's all these different elements that need to be the right but if you're asking for other things we need to talk about from this game and celtics fans should put on some earmuffs for this jason tatum shot selection and his overall execution offensively was very concerning for me in this one he had some tough matchups i mean milwaukee has a lot of guys with length but he is far too comfortable taking bad shots unless he becomes a much better bad shot maker because basically nobody in the league there are like five guys that are so good at making bad shots that it's worth it for them to think okay this is worth doing right well now. and he could become one of those guys but this isn't last year sure you know, and and the, and the celtics have offensive talent they don't need to yeah. rely on something like that they were getting good shots whenever they tried yeah so this year tatum 44 out of 108 shooting 41 percent overall from the field 10 out of 31 from three that's going to get better uh but only 23 shots at the rim all year and he's taken 43 mid-rangers and has he made 14 of them that's not good uh and again this is a team that has a chance to get threes uh you know i think he, he likes that mid-ranger I, I was very impressed with him early last year when he went into more of a, a spot-up mode he's a very good spot-up three-point shooter but He's not as good as Gordon Hayward is going to be, I think, when Hayward can get back to being himself. You know, people were talking about him maybe being the best player in the Celtics. That is not true. But he's 20. That's fine. You know, and I think, like I said about Donovan Mitchell and maybe even Ben Simmons, the idea that Jason Tatum was going to take a leap to be like a top 20 player in the NBA this year, you know, probably wasn't ever realistic. Uh, it, people just want to assume that you're going to make this big leap. And, you know, progress is generally more incremental than that. But, you know, I would like to see uh, some better shot selection from him. But, you know, especially in a game like this where the Bucks were helping so much, you know, they went to him a lot 
trying to create shots in the first half and then really when they went away from that in the second half uh getting some guys who are better passers like Tatum can pass but he doesn't think that first uh you know I think that's why I would say that Hayward is a better guy there but other than shooting corner threes like Tatum needs to find a way to be productive without taking long twos off the dribble in this offense along those same lines there were some moments in this game when Boston had Irving and Hayward off the floor in particular where they weren't getting those good shots even against the Bucks were still doing some of those things and so I'm not sure yet what Terry Rozier's place and I'm not saying this is a criticism yeah, another guy I'm not who sure took does some not bad mean no. long twos in this game took some bad twos it's just can Terry Rozier be the key offensive player on a team that reliably gets good shots and remember he's doing a lot of it right now that Kyrie's back he plays with Kyrie too but a lot of the time when Rozier has that onus on him he's playing with backups against backups and he's not getting those great looks for himself and teammates as much as you would like for somebody that you're then extrapolating this guy is going to be able to do it as a starter and something that you and I will talk about later in this episode is guys that have a lot of money on the line and while I am not every general manager I'm not even a single general manager if I were trying to guess what a play how a player is going to work in those sorts of circumstances that's something I'd be looking at closely is when they have a talent advantage when they're playing you know because Boston's bench is better than damn near everybody else's bench what are you maybe not offensively but overall like what are they getting what shots is he getting what shots are his teammates getting and I'm not sold on that yet and that wasn't the reason why Boston made it to the conference finals last year yes Rozier was an important part of that but it wasn't because they were just getting great shots and killing it It was a lot of defensive grinds and all that sort of thing and there are other players that can lead you there if that's what you're looking for yeah we already said how maybe it's time for Tatum to take a little bit of a step down in the pecking order well that's even more true for Rozier he needs to get in line behind Tatum and they're playing Tatum on some of these second units with Rozier and just to give you an idea like Rozier is obviously pressing he was looking to score long twos and frankly you know if he presses that's the shot that he's going to get a lot of times so he's taken nine shots at the rim this year and he's taken 29 twos outside the restricted area he's shooting 37 percent on two pointers and you know his three pointer is fine uh, again but you know he's only taken 24 three pointers so yeah his shot selection as well just hasn't been great they don't have an unbelievable offensive second unit but you know when he's taking these shots off the dribble early in the clock that's not necessarily what you're looking for but uh, I mean my overall impression before I want to talk a little bit about the end of the game here maybe not the greatest detail in the world uh because we've been talking for 29 minutes about this game which is fascinating I mean I love talking about these two teams uh and again like I don't want to like all these Bucks fans to be totally depressed I mean they've made great strides uh they easily could have won this game with better shooting uh you know I'm just a little worried about the strategy but I think home court advantage if these two teams match up is going to be very very important i mean we have seen the bucks again just cannot win uh in boston it seems like in boston you know did not win in, in milwaukee either so you know and i think it's realistic to talk about the bucks as being up there record wise you know with the celtics and the raptors um and you know for all the hand wringing about the celtics they're still six and two you know and they've beaten some pretty good teams albeit at home um let's just talk a little bit about the end of the game we don't have to go possession by possession but uh quack 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 uh 
I mean, so the Bucks got back into this game because of a, a, a series of big Chris Milton shots. He made three threes in about a minute and a half to that helped cut the margin from eight to I think eight to four because Boston made some shots in there as well. And then it gets all the way down and Brogdon makes a layup. So then it's it, it sticks for a while, actually, at 113-111. And yeah, th- that's when the Celtics missed four wide open three pointers in a row. Yes. And there were some great hustle offensive rebounds there there were some good yeah. fortune offense Kyrie had a there, great stop on Middleton on in the post yeah he did he really did yeah and Middleton yeah it was one of the plays where you kind of thought there was a foul because Middleton went to the ground but what happened was Kyrie got his hand on the ball and when Middleton tried to recover it he just lost him he just lost a little bit maybe he tried to accentuate the contact a little bit but yeah then so that was with I think 51 seconds to go so then Boston had a chance to to basically knock him out Horford missed what I recall as being a, a pretty decent look yes. at a three I I don't remember that shot and then so then you're sitting there going okay milwaukee gets the ball 25 seconds to go down only two points at this point and so you're like okay they're gonna they're gonna have a pretty good shot at this and they did have a pretty good shot at it but then things went a little haywire yeah and while we did criticize bud's coaching going for the quack two uh twice at the end of the game some things that were good not taking the time out when they got the rebound with 25 seconds left, they pushed it up. Giannis was able to attack on the baseline, got a great look past Horford and just tried to go for the lefty reverse layup on the right side, which was the right play. But just, yeah, that could be kind of a tricky shot. Sometimes he shot it too far over the backboard. Um, so they have to take a foul, uh, but they weren't in the bonus. And then did a, Bucks did an awesome job of when they got the ball into Tatum near half court, but in the backcourt, just trapping him. He threw it away. Bledsoe made a great play. And then uh, Tatum had to foul him as he could have been turning the corner to go in for a layup. But of course, Bledsoe in his personal house of horrors, Boston missing the first free throw out of two. I thought maybe they could have intentionally missed it at that point, but they still had some timeouts. So uh, they Bledsoe makes the second free throw. Then they had to foul Kyrie. He hits two and they're down three. They don't take a timeout. They still have two timeouts left with 12.3 remaining. And they wasted six of those seconds for Eric Bledsoe to go the full length of the court. Never even thought about taking a three. I thought he actually could have pulled up. Uh, Just went right to the rim. And the whole problem with the quack two is it's not automatic. And so Bledsoe misses a pretty tough shot, you know, probably a 50%, 45% type of shot, you know, where he had to stop on a dime and turn back. Uh, Bucks get the rebound with five seconds left. And then they go try to just throw it into Giannis for the quick two. And then he gets fouled and he only makes one. So you had two chances at the quick two. You're basically scoring only one point. That shows you exactly why. Uh, and also with Giannis missing that second free throw i thought bud missed a chance to put his rebounders in and really try to get that offense rebound because there was no guarantee that Giannis was going to make that second free throw so to try and at least get the offense real they didn't really compete there uh stevens put in baines and horford uh, and they were able to corral the rebound and Horford made two free throws and the game was over. Yeah, so there was some good and some bad there. I mean, the good tr- going for the trap quickly, you know, so it, it, enough time to foul and they forced they forced a mistake. But I mean, your chances of, of the goal is to win the game. As Herm Edwards once said, you play to win the game. And when you have the ball with 12 seconds to go and you're down by three points, especially when you have to, dr- when you choose to dribble the ball all the way up the freaking court, your chances of winning the game 
are substantially higher if you take that three versus well, if you and, go for two. And another two. reason to do that it's, too is that that's early enough that they might not be able to feel it. They feel like they may not be able to foul, right? If you score a two and then they just hit two free throws on the other end, now there's enough time left where they could foul potentially as well. So you're you're taking yourself right. out. You're, you're opening that up as a strategy the later it gets. Right. And I mean, Boston didn't really have to do that. And we had, we had talked about the idea of kind of how Boston could approach that when they were basically up three with a, just a few seconds to go. And I mean, then eventually when they were up four with just a few seconds to go. And Milwaukee just made it too easy for them. And I mean, I still think that Boston would have won the game. Like that's the more likely outcome, but it's playing the odds. You know, like that's really what you're trying to do. And the, none of the solutions are perfect. You know, it's not like you're going to be getting a deep three from one of the best shooters alive or something like that. If, if Milwaukee had that guy, their offense would look very different. But it's super hard to win scoring a two at that point, just because especially, oh, this is the other point I wanted to bring up with going for a quick two with five seconds to go. You can't trap at that point. You can force a turnover on a five second call, or maybe they just throw screw up the inbound. But once they have the ball into a guy, you have to foul. You can't really do anything too cute because yeah. they can just hold the ball and they're fine. And so you lose a lot of those benefits as well by burning the time and going for the two. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing if you try to get a three, it's not there. You just don't even have a good look at a three and someone's wide open under the basket or you can just drive in and shoot an uncontested layup. But that obviously was not the case here. Um, if you want to read about this game, The Athletic is a great place to do it. Jay King on the Celtics, uh, Eric Nem on the Bucks, and another great athletic article, uh, John Krasinski, Shams, like every time they write about the Jimmy Butler situation, uh, you always have a new nugget that wasn't available. Uh, Joe Varden, great reporting on the Cavs situation. He reported shortly before Lou was fired the fact that the Cavs vets had been told, okay, first we're going to compete, and now, oh, no, you're not going to play, and then, oh, no, actually, after we lost to Atlanta, you are going to play again, and that kind of presaged everything that was going on, and uh, Jason Lloyd also uh, had some good nuggets uh, about the Lou firing and uh, our pal Dan Gilbert in Cleveland. The Athletic is just doing awesome work, and uh, if you don't know exactly what they are, no ads, no pop-ups, no autoplay videos. They have easily, I think, the best team of writers covering the NBA at this point danny does the vast majority of his writing for the athletic at this point uh so you can be a part of the future of sports journalism there's a reason why they just closed this huge round of funding as well 40 million dollars in funding go to the athletic.com slash cap space to get 40 percent off your first year of subscription let me know at that slash cap space url that you came from us all right, we got a little bit of news to get to here. Actually, no, no let's... Oh, actually, can I make... I want to make a proposal. Oh, yeah. I want. I have an idea of how I want to do this. I think even though because we were so focused on this game because of the NBA cast, let's do a quick run around the league of the games that we didn't watch because we were watching this game because I thought this was a pretty fascinating night from what I could tell from the things that we didn't see. And I want to start in Atlanta because De'Aaron Fox had the best game of his still young NBA career, 31, 15 assists and 10 rebounds as they just beat the ever-loving pants off the off the Atlanta Hawks in the second half of this game. It was pretty close at halftime, but then 46-23 in the third quarter. So now the Sacramento Kings are 6-3, and three, and that's a, another wonderful story. We talked about them a lot on la, on yesterday's Dunked On, but I wanted to add that little coda to this part of the story. The Hawks' defense is atrocious. Play your daily fantasy, guys, uh, against them. DraftKings.com uh, with the cap space code. Portland took care of New Orleans without Anthony Davis. We talked about that game uh, Actually, no, I don't think we did actually talk about that game. Um, 
last we night. We did yeah, not. We were supposed to talk more about it. Uh, but, you know, I, Today. You know I, I don't really have a ton of observations. Yeah, we're supposed to do this, like, uh, maybe we'll just save that money on the line thing for later. Because we actually have a lot to talk about. There's still some news, too. Um yeah, I mean, let's talk about that game yesterday. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I have a couple of yeah. things on it. So I, I think the so first of all, Anthony Davis didn't look right to me yeah. all the way physically. You know, he was on the floor. It was certainly nice that he was out there, but he's still an awesome player, even if he's not 100 percent. And so for me, one of the most important takeaways from that game was that Draymond Green was very active defensively. And I thought he he made a big difference in the game. And also Nikola Mirotic. I, I just really like his fit with Davis, because when you have Mirotic next to Davis and Drew Holiday, no matter what, he's the th- the third option or or deeper down the rotation but then if he's hot those guys are both capable players to feed him and to to accentuate what Miritich does well he ended the game with 26 and 12 so I really like that fit and then while Randall did not go off like he did in the first half of the game against Portland where he scored 23 in the first half and then tailed off a little bit there due to foul trouble and everything else he's still he's just a force like Randall such a hard guy to counter because what he does nobody else can really handle it because he's stronger than a lot of those players plays with a lot of intention and i'm super excited to see him in games with real stakes yeah i didn't think he played well against the warriors i thought that he might be someone who could cause them problems but they didn't really like try to get him the ball on the perimeter and let him uh, attack um I do want to see these teams match up when Davis is looking a little healthier. Certainly on offense, he was not the force. He only had 17 points. Um, and, and he usually plays pretty well. He did have seven assists, though. He really has been uh, distributing far more than he has in past years, as we talked about yesterday. But you know, he played 41 minutes. Holiday played 42. Moore played 39. I still, they, I don't think they have an answer for Steph Curry. Uh, and, and the Warriors didn't even have to go to Kevin Durant at all, uh, posting up either, like which, of course, just completely eviscerated the Pels in the playoffs last year. Well, and, and that that gets into something that I just find so interesting when these two teams go at it. And remember, Alvin Gentry is a former Warriors assistant. He was an assistant on the first title team of this era. And he chooses consistently to have Drew Holiday, his base assignment is on Kevin Durant. And I mean, they don't really have anybody to guard either Durant or Curry other than Drew. But it's just such a such an interesting yeah. choice because Curry, like Drew Holiday is one of, in my opinion, the best defenders on Curry in the entire league. But if you put somebody who can't defend Kevin Durant on Durant, then he can just live there too and so maybe they think they can scheme and execute a little bit better with Steph than they can with KD who's just so comfortable isolating on inferior defense yeah well Steph you know goes off uh, around screens so much that it kind of doesn't matter as much who is on him um and Steph was just unbelievable again 37 points 7 of 11 from 3 I mean he's clearly to me the MVP in the early going at 9 assists uh, as well but I mean my overall takeaway was just I don't see a path here for the Pals and that's not a surprise you know and we'll see you know they look great in the early going we'll see what it looks like when davis is a little healthier they lost again tonight to portland with davis out and you know the fact that he was out with that sprained elbow after playing in this one he clearly uh you know didn't look quite as comfortable shooting the ball. i think it was more he just wasn't quite as physical mixing it up especially offensively um and, and alfred payton missed this one too i don't think you know unless he can really shoot the ball better i think he's an upgrade on rondo but you know he's still probably gonna get guarded by draymond green and it will provide some help but you know draymond uh and kd said this after the game it was kd actually that you know if the whole all the games are gonna be you know 131 121 the warriors aren't gonna lose that type of game right i mean you you really have to defend first to stop these guys and kind of muck things up because you know the Warriors, they may not stop everyone amazing well, but they have guys who can get out there and make stops in key situations. And then, you know, if you're if you're just running up and down the floor, you're gonna have these possessions where Steph Curry is gonna just get wide open or Clay Thompson is gonna get wide open and 
KD is going to get wide open. Those guys are just going to knock down shots better than your guys, even if they, you know, you'll take the Warriors wide open shots against anybody else. So, um, yeah, I, I wasn't feeling great about the Pels' chances, uh, but and, and their deep bench, not so good either. I mean, they had to play Ian Clark. They had to play Frank Jackson. Solomon Hill didn't look very good. I mean, those are uh, guys seven through nine off the bench there. Uh, you know, Tim Frazier had to start. So they, they're still really thin um Darius Miller also missed this one but he's not going to make the difference against uh Golden State either so yeah big surprise we don't think that the Pels can keep up with Golden State but uh, you know you when you're looking for these early season games like oh is there some hope you know there wasn't didn't really appear to be a ton of hope for me with the Pels also for selfish reasons because it was fortuitous timing I had pre I had already submitted a piece to be published on Thursday about Jonas Drebko and Alfonso McKinney and their place in the Warriors rotation and both those guys I thought did pretty well you know, not their best games. McKinney was awesome against the Bulls when Clay Thompson set the three-point record. And basically the goal for those two players, and this is basically the thesis of the piece, is just to be fun- competent, functional pieces that don't really take much away from, from this team. And ideally, yeah, it'd be great if one of those two could, could get reliable playoff minutes, but that's not the goal for right now. And we both espouse concerns about the Warriors' depth, you know, especially with Iguodala taking it so easy. And I mean, Livingston's missed a bunch of time now in the regular season and getting Getting two competent players who try hard, who don't screw up very often, is really important. I thought they needed guards more than forwards, but they can make it work either way. Getting back to your uh, initial premise here, uh, OKC winning in Charlotte, uh, 111-107. That was uh, big for them. And OKC now, three straight wins for them. They're healthy again, three and four, uh, You know, right back into where they need to be. And I was never that worried about them because I mean, it really was only a two-game losing streak. Um despite some of the concerns we detailed about their offense yesterday but you know I mean they had lost four straight but two of those were without Westbrook um and then Charlotte loses another close game big surprise Philly beat the Clippers 122-113 at home Joel Embiid 41 points 32 field goal attempts and Markel Fultz actually was plus 16 he had a big stretch early in the third although he did not close the game uh where he he played pretty well uh had 12 points but was pushing the ball and you know people were watching were saying that that was a a spark and then denver takes care of cleveland on the road 110 91 uh the hawks honeymoon is over for cleveland they fall to one and seven i got a little bit excited early on in that game cleveland was up i think it was something like 12 to 2 and i thought maybe the voice was really leading the Cavs to a a much larger thing but then eventually things go back oh danny Danny, you know who had a good game we we better seize on these when we can Uh, the apple of our eye scorer the leading scorer for the nuggets yes 23 points yeah Wancho earning and okay well this can be a a transition news or just a point here if the nuggets do not think that tyler lyden is good enough to play minutes in a game that is basically that the end of the game is functionally garbage time cut him putting in somebody else sign even if it's to a non-guaranteed contract somebody who you think has a greater chance of actually being a functional player on this team yeah or someone who you can get to a not a non-guaranteed second year because now you know Leiden's option uh was declined and that can take us into uh some news here right after this from a new sponsor roofstock.com which allows you to buy sell and own investment properties the way pro investors do you can start earning passive income right away Uh, everyone knows real estate's a great way to build personal wealth and diversify your investment but it can be complicated with roofstop you can invest in single family homes across the country with as little as twenty thousand dollars down they've made the whole process transparent and easy to engage you can view inspection reports take a 3d tour see neighborhood ratings and when you find a property you like you add it to your cart even offer a 30-day money-back guarantee 
if your vacant rental property doesn't have a tenant after 45 days from closing roofstock will pay your projected rental income for up to a year this month only they've got a special deal for dunked on listeners 500 credit towards your roofstock marketplace fee at roofstock.com slash cap space easy to know slash cap space talk about all the time here on the program although not quite as much during this time of year before trade season gets going that's roofstock.com slash cap space for a 500 credit this month only roofstock.com slash cap space oh note that slash cap space url that you came from us it's an interesting concept uh so let's talk a little news here we can start in cleveland kevin love the news on his health is not amazing he confirmed on tuesday he's gonna miss several weeks with that big toe injury uh it's bothered him since the preseason he it got so severe he even had trouble walking and he did not rule out surgery although he had an mri he visited dr martin o'malley at the hospitals for special surgery in new york and he's been told to rest it no timetable really for when he's going to play again and this could be one of those tricky ones right where he it's just kind of swelling up you don't really know why he doesn't even know when he injured it and so okay you rest it for a while maybe do a little rehab you come back try to ramp up your activity and you just don't know when you ramp up your activity is it going to start to swell again uh but nothing really came up on the mri so hopefully some rest will do him good but he rested plenty during training camp and it was insufficient uh and by the time he gets back let's just say there won't be a ton of reason to rush him back but you know people have acknowledged they signed him to this deal to potentially uh that big extension four years 120 million to potentially trade him so they probably will want him to to at least get back and playing well before uh trade season gets underway it will definitely be worth watching how that was and and related Cavs news there was this uh, scuttlebutt is the word I'll use for J.R. Smith he was basically asked during uh, media availability if he wanted to be traded and he said yes and so then there was this discussion about whether he would get fined for that being a trade demand I believe the most recent thing I saw from Woj was that he will not be which I firmly agree with I think that a trade demand is something very different from somebody asking you do you want to be traded and you saying yes yeah and, and, and saying you want to be traded is different from trade me or else i won't play you know that's not a demand it's just but now now it's it's not even a request it's just an expression of hope i guess i mean now we could see some people try to fudge on this of like to their favorite reporter hey uh you might want to ask me if i want to be traded tonight you know like you could see that sort of thing happening but (laughs) or you could get some reporters from the players tribune that would be a really awesome way to do that yeah but yeah yeah. and and on related news the Cavs are exploring kyle corver trades for me the real challenge here is finding somebody who just really wants Corver at his current price because he could potentially be bought out at some point or if the Cavs are willing to take on either in a J.R. Smith trade a Kyle Corver trade or both take on a, a larger guaranteed portion for a subsequent season because while it is true J.R. Smith was signed under the prior CBA which means he still has that special count calculation where they could trade him and it, he would count at his full value but then the other team wouldn't have to pay that full value they'd only have to pay the light partial guarantee Corver does not because he signed under the current CBA. But you could also just trade those guys now and it functionally works the same. Like you could trade J.R. Smith right now for a matching player who just has guaranteed money for next year. So they don't have to wait until June or July or whenever to make those moves. They can, they can, but it's just how much surplus value are they providing? Yeah, and, and Cleveland does not project to have a ton of cap space next year, regardless of whether they move on from Smith or Corver. 
now i mean really i think the only way those guys have substantial value is if cleveland is willing to take on bad money that goes another year in terms of salary matching for them and, and george hill is in a very similar situation as well with only one million guaranteed next year out of his 20 million or so so we'll see i mean cleveland they're gonna have to start hitting the reset button pretty soon here you know i mean if i i would love to go through their schedule but you know if they have more than five wins at the end of november that would be a surprise to me um so they'll clearly be out of it at that point colin sexton he'll probably get all he can eat um and we'll see i mean corver you know it's been talked about oh maybe they could get a second round pick for him but then what's the matching salary becomes the question is it someone who's also expiring this year you know i mean could it be to the lakers for like michael beasley and you know enough filler that they could get back corver or you know philly for jared bayless might be an interesting one um and so then it'll just be the question of compensation but certainly if they can get any kind of positive value for him they might as well do it especially because they wanted they were saying telling him he wasn't going to play it all for them anyways you might as well and if you can get off of that money for next year i mean i think that's probably the three million for next year like that's what might give philly some pause for example like they're just shy of a max salary slot as it projects right now with the Furkan Korkmaz option decline we can get to that now sure actually briefly before we get there i looked up cleveland schedule i i think we can wait to go in depth maybe on the 15 and 60 i'll just say it's inhospitable overall yeah. there are some winnable games but it is it is not super yeah. friendly to they, them they've had a but home yeah, heavy a schedule other, so far they have so philly declined the option on cork this was one that you and i both from what i recall said that we would pick up and for me it was the opportunity cost argument basically two million dollars is not going to be hard to move in case cork isn't impressive and maybe there'd be somebody interested in him but they have more info and i always you know like he's intriguing offensively but his defensive limitations were always concerning to me so it, it was on the margin and now that clears two million in space as they pursue presumably a max player or some sort of amalgam of different guys in free agency next summer yeah and for Korkmaz I mean, you'll recall he was drafted in 2016 along with Timothy Luau Cabarro and he waited a year to come over I think more due to buyout reasons but that's part of why I think he was selected too because they, they really were in a roster crunch for these last few years uh and so now you know I think he's someone who has some value and he'll be unrestricted it would be worth taking a flyer on you know kind of along the lines like a Nick Stauskas who's actually given Portland some production this year uh and another great athletic piece by the way at the athletic.com slash cap space Derek Bodner wrote about how Philly despite the, the fact that they've had these great stars develop in Simmons and Embiid came in having all these assets two years ago and really have kind of lost a lot of them without a ton of return and Korkmaz, TLC, Pasechniks I mean those are three picks in the 20s I mean you don't necessarily expect to get something out of those but it would have been nice if one of those guys hit and they basically have nothing for those guys right now cheap rotation players are incredibly valuable and Philly's dealing with depth issues like that's something they've gone through the last couple of years and even somebody who projects as eventually being a depth player would be really useful for them another option that I decline that that I accepted I, I would have accepted that was declined is Malachi Richardson same basic logic the difference being that Toronto's cap space is much more negative we don't know if Kawhi's coming back. We don't know if Danny Green's coming back, all these other things. And there's also the news that Kawhi Leonard is still not playing in back-to-backs. And I'm totally on board with that. We don't know exactly how it's going to affect seating. You know, they did get their butts kicked by the Bucks without without him out there. But it's the long game. I mean, we can already tell that with Toronto, that if they're healthy, they're going to be in this into May. And if that's the case, why put extra miles on a guy who's co- recovering from this strange malady? 
Yeah, Leonard, I wouldn't play him in a single back-to-back all season. Why bother, right? I mean, and we've talked about how strange it is and how this is really kind of a chronic injury and overuse type of injury. Why even begin to expose him to something where that could come back when, again, as you mentioned, it was so nebulous last year. And, you know, he's playing really well. He was going through these workouts. It remains a mystery of, you know, how much maybe he could have actually played last year or not but he was able to to get back and he's looking good this year. So, I mean, to me, you know, maybe if you get down the end of the year and it's like, okay, we have this one back-to-back and that's going to win, you know, and we're playing Boston on the second end and we played Milwaukee on the front end and like we needed him in both these games to get the one seed. All right, maybe you think about it. Uh, And then uh, going back to Richardson, I would have declined the option. He did show a little something in summer league, but they got big tax concerns next year. And this is another one too, where he's going to be on the team. He's not really going to play it all this year. So you could potentially, resign him if you really i don't see anyone else offering him like guaranteed money at the end of this year if you really like him you could always maybe try to bring him back uh what else we got here Another option, we talked about the Celtics a lot already, but uh, Danny Ainge picked up Gershon Yabusele's option. I think of Yabusele as a guy who has more backside than upside, but... (laughs) See, I laugh at your jokes he, when they're funny. You're just you're just like a brick wall. Well, I'm muted most of the time. And well, you are, you are like muted not for my for my awesome Seinfeld reference on, on the uh, on uh, the NBA cast today. I mean, I I didn't I didn't think it was I didn't think it was as impressive. It was well, it was teed up, right. but it was still. I, yes. I interrupt you so, as I just did this very moment, and you don't <laughs> laugh at my jokes. It's just it's our thing. It's fine. It's our chemistry. But so Yabusele, maybe there's a larger plan going on. Also, Danny Ainge has earned the benefit of the doubt. I've been critical of some of his moves that have really worked out. I don't see an NBA player, at least in the near term, in there. But you still have that opportunity. Doesn't cost a ton of money. And a point that you brought up on the NBA cast was that he could end up being useful salary filler. And we don't know exactly where Boston's offseason is going. So that's an option too, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's really the only upside to it that I can see. I mean, they also have like plenty of guys in his position. And I mean, the idea that you couldn't get someone better than him for the minimum is surprising and it's just it's gonna make him so much harder to trade now you would think if they want to move him to try to get under the tax uh Dirk Nowitzki in a video yesterday saying that he is still weeks away uh, from returning uh does not look particularly mobile when we've seen some of these videos of him uh, shooting around and then Memphis cut someone who I guess it's not surprising at this point uh but uh, Andrew Harrison, who's played well for them at times, uh, is no longer a Memphis Grizzly. I thought this was coming at some point when they signed Shelvin Mack. And Shelvin Mack is a more proven commodity. He's had some nice performances for Memphis as well. He played with Connolly a little bit and played without him, to be sure. And Harrison, Bobby Marks, laid in part of the timeline here was that his protection was going to increase every day by about $8,500 starting on November 5th. So they will take a $200,000 cap hit, which I think is kind have covered by his salary so far you know like that sort of a thing and they haven't made a corresponding roster move yet but they can do that at, at basically any point that is convenient for them and so i think harrison is somebody that can help a few of these point guard needy teams you know he's not a perfect option to be sure but i mean when you're looking at orlando or chicago and phoenix just having somebody else that you can try is worth it and harrison has done more than a lot of the other players that they would probably consider yeah he's at least a solid defensive player 
doesn't do anything offensively inside the arc uh but you know his three-pointer was evolving he was a little more aggressive taking them last year but i think they just liked their number 32 overall pick uh javon carter a little better than him shelvin mack has played well uh they've got conley so i I think they felt like it was almost more doing him a favor maybe to release him at this point but i do expect him to glom on elsewhere in utah donovan mitchell had to leave that crazy 50 point game which we should probably actually discuss a little bit uh that derrick rose had last night with uh hamstring tightness in the last five minutes uh an mri was negative i'm not sure how an mri could be negative i guess for like any kind of a significant tear but he will not play friday against the grizz so maybe utah looking at another loss to the grizz uh and in washington dwight howard plans to make his season debut friday against oklahoma city i would not want to be making my season debut with a back slash glute injury against steven adams that's a lot of leaning uh and he said it's still difficult for him to sit down uh with that pure performance injury which is a muscle uh, in the glute uh that's not great uh you know if he's not even that healed and he's just you know is he going to take like a painkilling injection to play uh and dwight i mean we've seen how much his performance can fluctuate uh just a, a small prediction here that i don't think he'll be a panacea for the wizards woes a calibrator that if i remember we can put this in the 15 and 60 sheet would be a, a status report on how we feel about dwight howard's likelihood of picking up his player option and i, I we're not there yet i haven't seen him play yet but i i, I think that might be an interesting hey, yeah, you uh, might pick up that player option. It's due. Uh, wow, going to the voice already. Wow. Yeah, I mean the center mark. There's so many centers next year, and so few teams need them. And yeah, I mean it seems pretty unlikely to me. Uh, and you know, I'm sure he's gonna like really, like really fit in so well in that Washington locker room that the reports there will be glowing for him. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean their their locker room is so toxic, it's glowing. So I guess that kind of makes sense. <laughs> man you're on fire today anything else we got to talk about here or is, or is that it nothing else in terms of news one thing i want to promote is that at some point on friday um, my real gym radio podcast will come out with dan feldman friend of this program as well the the creator of bucks here as we didn't actually talk about milwaukee too much on the show but yeah we got into a lot of different stuff we talked a little bit about the rookie scale options but takeaways from the season so far and what we're looking forward to the next couple weeks all that kind of stuff all right thanks for listening we'll be back uh 15 and 60 style and we will get to eventually those which players have the most money on the line because uh, I think that's actually a really interesting topic. Though. I think that was suggested by uh, a commenter on the now defunct Twitter NBA show. Am I remembering that correctly? Or no? Or did uh, Ben Bell? Believe... Ben Bell came up with that, right? No, I think I think somebody asked it to us. I said that's a good podcast topic, and then Ben wrote it down and said, "All right, it to us. okay, yeah, there we go." But thank you, Ben. <laughs> all right, we will uh, talk to you all on Sunday night. Till then, at Bet Three Six Five, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.